All right, let's get our Bibles out. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17 tonight. And I want to dismiss everybody that's involved in discipleship at this time. Appreciate all those that are going through this. They've been diligent, been working hard. Hear good reports from our uh, disciplers. And uh, appreciate. We have a number that just uh, finished recently, uh, level one, and a few that just have completed all the way through level two, three, and uh, are uh, now preparing for graduation there and then wanting to take those same concepts and teach them to a whole other group of people. So we rejoice in all of that. Matthew chapter 17, if you would, stand to your feet. I'm just going to read a few verses here. We're going to read uh, verse number 14 all the way down to verse number 21. Matthew chapter 17, starting verse number 14. And they were come, when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed. For oft time he falleth into the fire and off into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. The child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If you have the faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and Fasting. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we do thank you for this opportunity for us to open your word and to study it. And uh, thank you for everyone being in their place this evening. I pray that you give me the right words to say again. Lord, uh, I pray that you have me say only that which you'd have me say. Lord, only the things that will be profitable, only the things that, uh, Lord, hearts need at this moment, and uh, withhold anything that will not be profitable for these next few moments. Uh, pray to bless the reading of your word and the preaching, therefore. And um, Lord, we just, uh, again, bless this service. We ask your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we've come to this uh, passage here in Matthew chapter 17. And uh, the title of tonight's message is, is Exercising a Faith That Endures. Exercising a Faith That Endures. As we jump into this passage, we jumped into verse number 14, and if you read the verses just prior to this, you'll find some amazing doctrinal pieces as we find Jesus, who has taken his disciples, three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up into the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, you've probably heard the story, he takes him up there, and he's transfigured, and they're seeing him in his full glory. And they see Moses, and, 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 and this amazing, miraculous thing is going on before their eyes. And, and uh, Peter starts speaking, and then there's a voice from heaven, and you can read all the details of everything that, that takes place there. But, but uh, as we read verse number 14 on, we find the rest of the disciples who are down below off the mountain, and they're going through some difficulty. 
And Jesus steps on the scene and has to kind of fix this big mess, this, this uh, catastrophe that these disciples now are no longer able to perform these miracles. And there's a great multitude that is, uh, that is gathered together, and uh, there's the scribes, there's all these folks. We'll dive at, uh, into that here in just a moment. But the other disciples were waiting, and they're performing miracles, and they're uh, performing healings, and all this is, is going well. But all of a sudden, somebody comes along, and all of a sudden, the disciples kind of freeze up. Uh-oh, what do we do? Having some issues here. Jesus enters the scene and finds the disciples a red face and unable to accomplish this divine task. As I think about the context and the situation of, uh, of the scene that we're jumping into here tonight, I think of uh, a time when I was, I had my first job. My first job was working, uh, uh, my, my dad has an amusement, kind of a si- amusement side business, and uh, he has a train, and it's at an orchard. And uh, it's just a little train about yay high. You get to get in it, and it takes you around a few times. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Kids love getting into it. Parents sometimes can, can shove themselves in it. They enjoy uh, the ride around the orchard. And, and my dad's been passionate about it. Uh, I remember when we first uh, purchased it and, and uh, started to build it on uh, the, uh, the grounds of the orchard there. And, and uh, I grew up working with my dad on this train. And I was about yay high, and my parents bought me this conductor suit, and, and I would wear the full-on hat, and, and uh, I think I looked adorable, I don't know. And, uh, and then I got older, and I kind of just lost interest. And I said, Dad, I don't, I don't know that I like this. I don't know that I like being out in the hot sun. And uh, finally I got to high school, and I realized uh, it's a good thing to have some money every so often. And uh, so I went to my dad and I said, Dad, you know, I'm looking for a job. Would you mind if you, you hired me back on to work on the train? And he said, sure, sure. You probably know it better than anybody else. I'd love to have you uh, go work on it. So uh, one day I went down there, I got trained, got ready. And, uh, and finally, uh, my dad was kind of watching me as, as I'm directing kind of the traffic, so to speak. I'm operating the ride. I'm jumping on the train. I'm taking around a few times. I'm taking money and um, I'm escorting people off this ride and on the ride. And, and uh, everything seems to be going fine. I think I got this thing down. All right. Take the tickets, get everybody on the ride, start the train, let's go around a few times, and, and then that's it. And, uh, and I enjoyed that for a while, and then one Saturday I showed up, and it was a busy Saturday. And there was hundreds of people, it was a festival at the orchard, and uh, all of a sudden I looked down the entryway, and there is a line of people that pretty much goes all the way down this auditorium, uh, just packed with people, and they are all waiting to ride this train. Well, I've only been really working solo just for a couple weeks, and now I'm kind of having to manage a lot of people. And they're all wanting to come onto the train. So I try to systematically work it so everybody's coming on, and we're trying to maintain uh, calm within the crowd. And then all of a sudden, up comes this lady. And from my vantage point, I think I was about maybe 5'10 at the time, uh, she looked like she was 7 foot. And she starts walking through all of these people, pushing her way through the line. And she comes all the way up and says, It's my kid's birthday, and everybody in this party is getting on the train right now. And she opens the rope, and she starts loading all of these people on. And I'm just maybe about, uh, let's see, I was maybe ninth grade or so, tenth grade. 
just little old 510 me and this seven foot lady, what are you doing? And now I'm starting to hear this crowd, what's she doing up there? She's cutting, she's cutting. Why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you allowing this to happen? Somebody needs to do something. We need some justice. Where, where's the worker? Where's the attendant? What's going on? What's going on? And I'm shaking and I, finally I take a big gulp and I say, what are you doing? She turns and looks down at me. She says, it's my child's birthday. She needs to get on right now. And I said, well, do you see these folks that are in line here? Yeah, I see. Well, you need to get in line like everybody else. Oh, but we can't do that because we're already on the ride. I said, well, you're going to have to get everybody off the ride. and You're going to have to wait your turn like everybody else. And... Uh, Man, I, I was shaken. I was scared. I don't know what she was going to do. I mean, she could have probably stepped on me. I don't know. And, uh, and so I remember the pressure of the moment. The pressure where somebody is bringing a challenge before me. And now it's not just the pressure of having to deal with the confrontation face to face, but now you have a whole crowd of people that are wanting justice. You have a whole crowd of people that are saying, there's something wrong here. What's being said and what's actually being done is not aligning with each other. We need something to happen. And you have that pressure bearing down. You ever been in a situation like that? Where you're working on something and you start to struggle? I hate watching people struggle. Man, it just bothers me. You get somebody working on a computer and and, uh, you see them maybe struggling with Excel or uh, struggling with uh, some kind of computer software. And it's like, I know what to do. I know how to fix it. Let me help. Let me see how I can do here. And, uh, and, And so forth there. And I just hate seeing people struggle. And in the situation that we're coming into, Matthew chapter 17, verse number 14, the disciples are struggling. They've told everybody that they could cast out demons, that they can heal people. They were given the ability to do this. If you read Matthew chapter 10, verse number 1. In fact, why don't we turn there because we're already in Matthew. We'll just go a few pages back. Matthew chapter uh, 10, verse number 1. And when he had called unto them his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases. And then it continues on, and it's very specific that these twelve were given the power. These twelve, Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not unto the way of the Gentiles and unto any cities of Samaritans, enter ye not, but go ye unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he continues on and commissions them, and you read first, uh, further that, that Jesus really one, uh, one prerequisite in order to be able to perform these miracles is that you've got to rely on him. Listen, you're not going to take any food with you. You're not going to take any of your little potions. You're not going to take anything else. Just the clothes on your back, the shoes on your feet, and you're going out, and you're going to be able to perform these miracles, not by anything you do, but by what I am doing through you. So he has, he's given them the power here. You can find a parallel passage in Mark chapter 6 for the sole purpose of pointing people towards Christ. And as an introduction... Before we jump into this, we need to take a step back and see, not get caught up in the miracle working per se, but we need to see the reason for the miracle working was for them to be able to point 
uh, all of these folks to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you uh, continue reading uh, what Jesus says here uh, in these later verses in Matthew chapter 10, uh, that as ye go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So God's giving them, these disciples, the ability to do unbelievable miracles, but it's not just so they can put on a show, it's so that they can preach and affirm that Jesus Christ is who He says He is, and that one day they can have a home in heaven. So uh, with all of that as uh, kind of the backstory, the context of this situation, I want you to see first and foremost this great company, the great company. In order for us to look a little bit closer into this first point in Matthew, uh, in Matthew chapter 17, I want you to go over to Mark, Mark chapter 9. And we have these four Gospels, and uh, they are synoptic. They help us to see different perspectives of different scenes. So Matthew's recording what uh, he has seen, what he's been told about this situation. And now Mark, he's about to give his say. And we're going to find some more details about this great company in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse number 14. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them. The scribes questioning them. Keep that in the back of your mind. Straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed. And running to him, saluted him. And he said to the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. So let's pause. We've seen what Matthew has to say about the company. Now we're seeing what Mark has to say about the company. Let's put it all together. We see this great company, letter A, the people in the multitude. The people in this multitude. Who is gathered all around? Well, first, we see these scribes. As mentioned in Mark chapter 9, verse number 14. What are scribes? Well, the scribes were teachers of the Old Testament. Uh, they were uh, much like biblical lawyers. You may have a constitutional lawyer or uh, a, a traffic lawyer or something like that. You're specializing in something. You know all about that subject. And now when a case is brought against you, you're ready to defend it. You're ready to defend a stance. And these scribes, they memorize the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. They know them inside and out. You had a question about uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They, they had the answer. They know what was going on. And so these scribes are coming up and, and they're questioning these disciples. But not only do we see scribes in this situation, we also see the devil. We see the devil. Uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse number 18, talks specifically about uh, the devil being, his demon rather, being uh, possessing this child. And he's a lunatic, and he oftentimes falls into the fire. And, and uh, you read in Mark that he's, uh, he almost dies by being in the water. And, and just all the time, it, it doesn't seem like uh, there's any sanity to this young boy. And now all of a sudden, this, this father of this boy, as he's no doubt dealt with this for uh, time and time again, sees that there's hope. I hear that these disciples, they could cast out this devil. There's hope. Wow. When my son was young, I used to be able to play ball with him. I used to be able to converse with him. And, and now when we go on trips, I have to worry, is he going to try to kill himself again? I'm going to bring him to the disciples. 
I'm going to try to get my boy back like old times. But we see this situation that now the devil's involved and, and this, this demon, so to speak. So we see some of the people in the multitude. But now, as I mentioned, we have this boil uh, of pressure, this pressure that's building up uh, within this multitude. And from this multitude becomes an attack, an attack on these disciples. And notice how they attack these disciples. Uh, they start out with a line of questioning. We, we read here in Mark chapter 9, verse number 16, that they are questioning these disciples. You really say you, 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 really say you can cast out these devils, and then why aren't you? This is case in point. Everybody look around. Look around. These disciples, they say there's something, but they're not. Look, this one instance proves it. This man is on his knees and he's, he's saying, hey, they're not able to cast out this devil. Everybody look here. Look, 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 look. Can I remind you today, we live in a world that is watching Christians probably now more than ever. And we may talk a big talk, but do we walk the same walk that we talk? Somebody once said it like this, your talk talks and your walk walks, but your or rather, your, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Everybody ever heard that before? Don't ask me to say it again, because I could barely say it the first time. Okay? Um, but the whole point of that is to say this, that people are watching us. And we may say we have faith in God. We may sing the song, have faith in God, living by faith. But when something goes wrong... We begin to doubt there is a multitude of people that are watching you. They're watching me. We have some naysayers. <laughs> you thought it was going to come through, but it didn't. And now you're even starting to doubt. You're even starting to worry. You're even starting to say, God, are you real? Are you listening? So we see this line of questioning that's, that's coming forth. And can I say this? The scribes, they're bringing forth this questioning, but uh, also the devil brings forth this questioning, does he not? Need we go back to Genesis chapter 3, the very first sin? Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of the tree. Right? You remember the story? Adam and Eve standing there in the garden. The serpent is more subtle than any beast of the field. And he comes before Eve and he says, Starts questioning, 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 and instead of, of Eve directly quoting God, she begins to go down this line of questioning with Satan, and all of a sudden, now she's caught, now she's partaking in the fruit that she should not have been partaking in, and then she leads Adam to follow suit, and now we are in the mess that we are in, are we not? The scribes, they're questioning. Satan, he has the desire to question. But notice not only the questioning that's taking place, but the timing of the questioning. I believe tonight, if we study this out, perhaps these disciples are at the weakest point. They don't have Jesus with them at that point. Jesus has taken these three disciples. So the leader, the one who uh, has just flawlessly been able to walk up and touch people and heal them and, and perform all of these amazing miracles, the one who has given them the power to do the same thing, he's not with them. We don't know when he's going to come down. We hope it's going to be soon, but, uh, but we're seeing this glowing up in the mountain. We're down here. We don't know what's going on up there. All we know right now is just what's around us, this multitude. 
Not only do they not have Jesus with them, but I would say this, that they don't have their leading influences with them. I think Peter, James, and John are perhaps uh, some of the most noble, the most, uh, the most um, leading of, of the bunch. You think of all twelve. Uh, we hear Peter, James, and John probably more than all the rest. right? We don't think about Bartholomew. How many times have you ever talked about Bartholomew? No, we're usually talking about Peter, right? Or we read uh, about James, or we read about John, right? He has a whole gospel. These guys, they were, the, they were the, the real deal. These guys are the leaders. They're the ones that are able to stand up. They're the ones that are willing to fight. Remember Peter? He was the one that was willing to cut off Malchus's ear. He had some zeal. He was ready to see some things happen. Well, Peter's not with us. Instead, you got poor old Andrew. He's down there. He's shaking his shoes. I put myself in Aunt Andrew's uh, shoes sometimes when I'm reading through stories of the disciples. And this is where he's at. He's down below and he's, he's trapped. Multitudes bearing down on him. So there's a line of questioning. There's that pressure. There's the timing that Jesus isn't with them. The, the, the staple disciples aren't with them. We're at our weakest point. And can I tell you, it's when you are at your weakest point and I'm at my weakest point that Satan seems to step in. He waits. Can I tell you this? Satan's been around far longer than you or I have ever been around. Some of you are close, right? Brother Mike Yankowski, right? I'm just kidding. But, uh, but nonetheless, Satan, he's in for the long haul. He's not here for just his little five minute. No. He's much like a sniper. Sniper will go up and find an area, they get a good vantage point, and then they wait, and they wait, and they wait. Finally, the target steps in, they see him, but their target looks a little uh, uh, vigilant. It's like they may be expecting something, so he'll wait, and he'll wait. Until finally the target has put their guard down. They're at their weakest point. And is when they are at their weakest, when they're at their most vulnerable, when they're right in the center of the crosshairs, that the sniper decides it's time. And that's what Satan does for us. He doesn't attack you when you're up on mountaintop. He waits when you're in the valley. At some point they're going to be there. At some point, I'm going to get them. Jesus is away. He's taking Peter, James, and John away. We've got this whole multitude. This is a perfect time. And when you're in your darkest time is when Satan seems to jump in. But it's in these times we need to remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. See, one of the mistakes of the disciples is at some point they got their mind off focus. They no longer were focused on uh, Jesus. They started focusing on the multitude. They started focusing on their own ability. And now they need, to, they need to get back on track. And what God reminds us is that when you think you're able to stand on your own, that's when you need to be cautious. That's when you need to say, I need to get back in God's Word. I need to get back in, in, into the truth that will help me to stand. 
Dr. Tom Malone, a great preacher of yesteryear, once said, if you stand for nothing, you will fall for everything. If you stand for nothing, you will fall for everything. We live in a culture today that uh, they, they practice virtue signaling. You ever, you ever heard this phrase? I stand with, right now it's Ukraine. Right? And I'm, I'm totally for, uh, you know, you think of uh, all these stories of what's going on overseas and, and all these people that are displaced from homes and, and uh, you see footage online and it grips your heart. And boy, I, 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 I'm glad that our church has participated in helping some missionaries that are taking in refugees. And I'm, I'm so glad about that. But so flippantly, we put on social media, I stand with this. Or I stand with that. And we say it, but how many of us are actually standing with Ukraine? How many of us are actually next to these folks that are literally fighting for their lives while we're sitting uh, on our couches watching the thing transpire on the news? But we do nothing. And sometimes, while that's a maybe more secular uh, uh, illustration, what happens is we do the same thing with Christianity. I stand on the Bible. Really, how much of the Bible do you know? How much of the Bible have you studied? When Satan comes knocking on your door and says, here's a temptation for you. Here's a line of questioning for you. How quick are we to say, i got a Bible verse for it. And we throw that out there. We rely on our own strength. I remind us again, the world is watching Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. There is a great multitude, there is a great cloud of witnesses that are waiting for us to drop our, our sin, to, to get back on the path that we need to be, following the Lord, looking unto Jesus who has paved the way for us. And as I mentioned, our walk talks and our talk talks, but our walk talks louder than our talk talks. Let's not just be people that uh, flow, blow out hot air from our mouth and, and we talk a big game and we throw out some verses here and there, but, but are we actually studying? Are we actually praying? Are we actually having a, a, a true, genuine faith in God? So we've looked at the great company. Tonight I want us to see next the godly chastening. The godly chastening. Matthew chapter 17, verse number 17 through 20 says this. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Verse number 17, we find the rebuke on the multitude. This godly chastening, Jesus has now stepped on the scene, and He's going to make everything right. He's going to rebuke the multitude. He's going to rebuke the disciples here in just a little bit. But, but right now we're focusing on this rebuke of the multitude. And He says, a faithless and perverse generation. Man, Jesus didn't hold back sometimes. He was getting you like it is. He said, faithless, looking for a fault. 
Forget the hundreds of miracles that I've performed before. Forget the hundreds of miracles that the disciples performed before. But because of one incident, because of one isolated incident, now we're all bringing to scrutiny. Are we really a credible source? Are we really who we say we are because of one thing? It didn't come through. They abandoned the one who healed them. Their faith only lasted as long as they could see the results. Do you find your faith running like that? Where as long as God answers every prayer that you pray, you're with Him. But if God stands afar off and He doesn't answer the way that you want, are you real, God? Are you listening to me? Do you really love me like you say you love me? We live in a microwave Christianity today. We want it, and we want it now. Amen? When I come home from work at the end of the day, I want food. And boy, I hope we have some leftovers. I'll take some old ribs, or I'll take some beef stroganoff, or I don't know, and I'll just stick it in the microwave. And, and uh, I, I don't know why. I always set the microwave for 1 minute 30 seconds. I can't do 2 minutes. That's too long for me. I do one minute, 30 seconds. I do it up here in in the office. I do it at home. One minute, 30 seconds. Two minutes, nope, too long for me. I'll take a cold. If it's not done all the way, minute 30, you stir it up a little bit, let that steam, and and, I know all the little tricks to trade because I want food and I want it now. And you know what? If God answered our prayers like that, God wouldn't be God, right? We would be. God, you listen to me right now. I'm the boss around here. And we say these things and we pray these prayers and, and, and we follow after Him. But as soon as, as soon as God doesn't answer in the time that we want, we get a little shaky. God, it would be really great if you came through with this check right now. Day comes and goes. God, I told you, you need to give me the check today. Why didn't you do that? They're faithless. But not only are they faithless, They're corrupt. Corrupt. That word corrupt means to disrupt. Uh, They had a a whole motive behind this. These scribes and and this multitude. They're they're just trying to conjure up this this, uh, big big disruption and and try to make it out like it's so... Have you ever been with somebody like that? I can't stand people like that. They, uh, you know, they make molehills, these mountains. But I love when you're with people that take... Mountains, and they make molehills. I was with somebody one time. I was working at a church, and uh, and uh, there was a small situation. This this person had a dispute with me, and it was a complete misunderstanding. And I, I was doing my best to to try to smooth some things over with the church member, and uh, and all of a sudden, this this one individual just has an ear, itching ear. <gasps> Pastor Andrew, he's he's got a little bit of a dispute on his hands. So she goes to the pastor and says, you're not going to believe this. This is really, really bad. Pastor Andrew, he's, he's in a dispute with somebody. You better take action. This is really bad. We might lose a church member. We might lose a whole family. We might lose the tithe from this family. And it became this, this whole big ordeal. And I'm like, we're almost through. We're almost working it out. It's just a simple misunderstanding. It's not a big deal. And, uh, man, I can't stand people that are like that. They just step in and they make these small issues large. 
I find great leaders are people that can take these mountains of, of difficulty and can make them small and, and manageable and, and not have the anxiety and all the stress involved. So we see that this, this multitude, they're being rebuked because they're faithless. They only follow as long as they can see. They're corrupt. They have an agenda behind what they're saying and what they're doing. They're trying to disrupt this, this group. Letter B, not only do we see the rebuke on the multitude, but we see the rebuke on the disciples. You know, it ought not surprise us when unsaved people act unsaved. But it should surprise us when saved people act unsaved. And I think all of us, we've had moments in our life where we do act unsaved. And I think at this moment, these disciples, they were kind of borderline right there. They're not acting the way that they should. They're not following after Christ. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're faithless. And we see here in verse number 20 of uh, Matthew chapter 17, and um, the Bible says uh, this, that um, Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have the faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. And if we read uh, Mark's account of this, we'll find that uh, the, the, the situation has calmed down. Jesus has cast out this uh, demon-possessed boy, and, and he's basically laying there like he's dead. Jesus heals him up, and now all the multitude sees that Jesus again is who he says he is. And, and uh, the scene kind of jumps, and now I believe that it's perhaps that evening, and the disciples are about to pillow their head in a house. And maybe they're just cleaning up from dinner, and, and uh, there's a holy hush across this group. I don't know uh, off the top of my head who, who uh, mentioned this, but... They asked this question, Jesus, sure you did that, but you told us we could do it. So why weren't we able to? Perhaps still a little red-faced, a little embarrassed from the festivities of the day. He says, because of your unbelief. I believe today when he said your unbelief, he meant a weakness in your faith. You had a moment where you were a little off-kilter. A moment where you took the plug, instead of putting it in the outlet for power, you just left it off to the side. You forgot the source of your power. You forgot the source of your power. And I believe uh, within this area of faith, God's showing us two things. He's showing us a dependency upon Him and a duration of that dependency. Let's look a little bit deeper uh, that we need to be faith-filled. Faith-filled. Uh, unbelief is, is the weakness of faith. And so, if He's chiding them for this, then we need to have a fullness of faith. Faith is telling the mountain to move and be shocked only if it doesn't move. He who is small in faith will, be never, uh, will never be great in anything but failure. Being uh, this, this whole instance of faith, I, I, I can't help but think how many times in my life have I waited for God to come through and, and, and saw Him come through in that area, but then something doesn't work out and I, I start to deny the faith. Or there are other areas where I go and I make decisions in my life that I haven't prayed and I haven't sought God's face. 
This last uh, Monday, I was uh, I went outside and saw that my gr- grass was was grown up, and and uh, my lawnmower wasn't working at the time. And I came in and I said, you know what? I went to my wife. I said, we 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 got to go out and we got to get a, a lawnmower. My wife, the godly woman that she is, she looked at me and she says, I think you need to pray about that. And I said, okay. And she said this phrase, man, it just seared my my conscience. This is what she said. Her sweet little self, only way she could say it. I don't mean for you to think about praying it for it. I mean actually go and pray for it. And I said, how dare you? You know? Man, that just gripped my heart. How many times have I said, I'm going to pray for that? And I go and I just make a decision. I don't wait for God to show me from His Word that, yes, this is the right decision, or I'll wait for uh, the Holy Spirit to, to give me a clear answer, and I'll just move forward. I love just, just going and doing things. Um, I, I hate waiting. I am the, I'm just so impatient. When I was at college, we used to have a uh, lunch line that wrapped around the whole gymnasium, and uh, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, I would tell her, we're going to wait until 15 minutes after doors open for lunch because I cannot wait in that line. So I would stay at my uh, dorm room. She can attest to this. I would wait 15 minutes, maybe even 20 minutes if I felt like it. Uh, I, I would come out, and boom, the line was all gone. And I'd just walk right in. I didn't have to wait at all. I was waiting in my dorm, but uh, that was, that's beside the point. But uh, I hate waiting. I like just going and getting things done, just going and doing it. And, uh, and so... Uh, when, when we come to moments like this, no matter what decision it is, no matter how simple or how vast your situation is, you and I need to be full of faith. Not relying on ourselves. Not relying on our own abilities, our own gifts, our own minds. And sometimes I think we, we uplift ourselves a little bit too much. My mind, man, it's so frail. If I don't write it down, I'm forgetting it. If you ask me a question after service, if you don't see me pull out a pen and paper and put it on a paper, I'm probably not going to do what you said, all right? And that's just, that's just who I am. I don't mean any disrespect for it. I just know that I'm so frail, I, I'm so minute that I can't, uh, I can't handle things in my brain. I've got to put them on paper. And, uh, and so everything that we do, do needs to be full of faith. We need to have that dependency on God. As I mentioned before, we've got to make sure our plug is in the right place, that it's fully plugged in. You ever have an instance where maybe you went to go turn on the TV and you're hitting the button, your TV's not turning on? Like, what's wrong with the remote? You go and get batteries, put the batteries in, still hitting it. Why ain't it working? You go in the back, you finally realize, oh, it's not plugged in. You ever have a moment like that? Okay. I guess I'm the only uh, person like that. But, uh, But everything that we do, we need to make sure that we're plugged into God. Next point, not only do we need to be Full of faith, but we need to be faithful. Full of faith, but faithful. Faithfulness involves a duration of time. It involves longevity. It's more than just that microwave Christianity where if I need it right now, I'm fully dependent on it right now, but when something doesn't come up, when God has another plan in mind, I'm still going to follow after Him. When thinking about this phrase, because of your unbelief, I think about Peter when he was in the boat. Matthew chapter 14, just a few pages over. We find Peter's in the boat with his disciples and Jesus is walking on the water. And Peter, again, we always talk about Peter. 
He has the faith, can I say it like that, to step out of the boat. How many of you be honest with me? You're going to be like, Peter, you're going to step out of the boat. No, I'm not stepping out of the boat. No way, Jose. I know science. I'm going to sink. I'm going to sink faster than others. I know that for sure. And so, uh, so, but Peter has that faith, and he says, you know what? I'm going to take that leap, and I'm going to join Jesus out there. And we get on Peter because he gets about, you know, he gets a little ways out, and all of a sudden he starts looking around, and he starts sinking. You know what? When Jesus comes, and he helps him, and he gets him back in the boat, what is one of the first things that Jesus says to Peter? O ye of little faith. What? O ye of little faith. He was the only one that got out of the boat. He was the only one that truly thought, if I step out of this boat, I am walking on the water. But Jesus is like, O ye of little faith. What? And this is the point that I think Jesus is trying to make then, and I think it's the same point He's trying to make now. Is that you can have great faith for a moment, but if your faith doesn't last longevity, it doesn't go long time, you got little faith. Sometimes we get that we get that courage. All right, I'm gonna go soul winning. I'm gonna go knock on this door by faith. Somebody's gonna lead me to Christ, and you knock on the door and you don't see somebody coming to Christ. Okay, all right, all right, that's okay, that's all right. It's just the first time, first time. I didn't have beginner's luck. That's okay. Next time I'll get him. They come second time. I got that faith. I'm ready to go. By the time I'm teaching a class, I'm ready to roll. Nobody answers. Oh, that's okay. I'll try. Maybe third time. Maybe third time. Third time's a charm. They come out the third time. Knock a bunch of doors. Maybe get a door slammed in their face. That's it. That's it. That's my Saturday. Come on, God. I've been giving you my Saturdays. It's the only day I really have off. Can you please just honor me, please? We don't have that duration of faith. We have faith for the moment. Again, as long as things keep going well, but we don't endure difficulty. We don't endure the trials. We don't endure the temptations. And it weighs on us, and it weighs on us, and we, we, we become unfaithful when God calls us to have great faith, both in the amount that we have and the duration that we have it. So we see that there's this godly chastening. We've looked at the great multitude that's around him. And finally tonight, we're going to see the given counsel. This given counsel. This final piece that Jesus is laying to his disciples. If we want to be victorious in our pursuit of faith in God, we need to have these two weapons. Prayer and fasting shows our dependency upon God. When fighting a physical battle, all of us would agree we need physical weapons, physical armor, right? When you're going to war, you want the biggest gun you can get. You want the biggest shield you can possibly have. Uh, I spent a time in, uh, in Texas, two years. Okay? Every single stereotype you can name about Texas is 100% true. 100%. Probably one of the most uh, true statements that's ever been said about Texas is that everything's bigger in Texas. Uh, the sky seems bigger. Uh, the people seem bigger. Their belt buckles seem bigger. Their hats and their guns. Okay? 
That is a true statement. They're gas stations even. If you ever seen a Bucky's, if you don't know what Bucky's is tonight, your homework is to go uh, on Google and uh, and search search Bucky's. Okay, Bucky's gas station. There's hundreds of pumps, hundreds of gas pumps, and uh, their bathrooms are big. Their food area is big. It's crazy, and uh, it's it's just one of those Texas things. And so going into Texas, I felt a little I felt a little inferior. And uh, everybody's talking about carrying their guns, and and I was in the military community. So no doubt, everybody had like M16s, ARs, all those different things. All those are outlawed up here, okay? So don't get any ideas. I'm probably being monitored by the government right now, just for saying that. But, um, but everybody had a gun. And so one of my first pursuits, when I got out there, my wife can attest to this, is I'm like, I need, I need to jump in this club. I need to get myself a gun. I mean, if just all war breaks out, we're, we're the first ones gone. So I'm going, I'm going to go get a gun. So I, I got one and, and uh, took the class and got, got my license and everything like that. And, uh, and then one night we had a shooting in our backyard. And I thought, this is it. This is what I've been training for. Hallelujah. So I grabbed the gun and I'm like James Bond over there in the corner of my window. And my wife's like, what are you doing? Like, this is what I've been training for. Right? And, uh, and then you find out what your neighbor has, and he's got a whole arsenal, and I got this one little pistol, right? And uh, if you're not a gun person, I'm sorry uh, for boring you here, but uh, that's just what it is in Texas. That's all they talk about. That's all they carry. That's all, uh, it's just like putting on a piece of clothing. It's just they're, they're adding their, their gun to their belt. And uh, so, uh, but when, when you're fighting a physical battle, you need physical weaponry. But when you're fighting a spiritual battle... You need some spiritual armor. You need some spiritual weaponry. And so Jesus is saying, hey, your dependence is upon yourself, but what you really need to have in your belt, in your tool belt tonight, is these two things, prayer and fasting. Prayer shows our dependency upon God. We've, I'm not going to belabor this point because we've had a number of messages these past few weeks about prayer and it's pricked my heart. And every great movement of God can be traced to a, a kneeling figure. Are you praying the way that you should? Are you facing your battles at work on your knees? Are you facing the battles of things that you see on the news on your knees? Are you getting fleshly? Are you thinking, what can I do to save this situation? What can I do to fix this? What can I do to provide justice? Or are you on your knees saying, God, only you have the power. Only you have the ability to work in this area. Are you bringing your prayers to God? Are you showing Him your dependency upon Him? Are you being faithful in this area? Are you being faith-filled in this area? But the second tool, perhaps a tool that, that not many uh, churches and not many pastors and not many speakers talk about, a very unpopular one is that of fasting. Prayer and fasting. These two go together. Fasting is letting go of all that is seen and temporal. Fasting helps express, deepen, and conform the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even uh, ourselves, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. You see, fasting is us surrendering something from us. Uh, typically in food, where we say, God, I'm going to give up this meal. And I'm going to keep doing so until you answer this prayer. Until you come through in only a way that you can. I think it's good for us as Christians to, to be fasting for a revival in America. 
I think it's important that, that uh, we be fasting when we get to big events at our church. I think it's important that we be fasting uh, for uh, relatives that are struggling with uh, demonic possession in their life or at least uh, demonic influences that are hindering them from hearing the Gospel. Their own pride that has welled up inside of them that the Holy Spirit is having to pound day in and day out because they need to hear the message of salvation. I stand before you today, not an expert and and not somebody who uh, is practicing this area as I should. But in the preparation of this message, I realize that much of my life has been great having the, the, the weaponry of prayer on my one side, but I've forgotten the duration of my faith, and that is shown in fasting. That God, I'm willing to surrender everything, even my own self, my own desires, my own uh, well-being for what you have in this situation. My friend, tonight, how is God speaking to you? How is your faith tonight? Do you have a faith that endures every trial? Do you waver so easily? Do you want? Do you only crave that microwave Christianity where hey, I better get it now? Do you have the duration of your faith? Does it last longer? I chose the the, the words of tonight's message: exercising a faith that endures. Exercise takes work. We all have a desire to exercise. At least I hope all of us do. Man, if I had a dollar for every time I said I want to exercise, I, I'd be a millionaire. Yet I don't. Sometimes there's an incentive that needs to take place in order for me to do it, but then I get into it. I get into it, and then I, I waver. Get into it, and I waver. Get into it, and I waver. Exercise your faith. Ask God to help you to grow and build and be full of faith, but be able to carry that over difficulties. Be able to carry it over a long duration of time. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, tonight, I pray that everybody within the sound of my voice tonight will have a deeper, more real faith than they've had before. Father, I pray that in every situation of our life, in the good, in the bad, in the indifferent, that we bring everything before You and rely on You Lord, we know without faith it is impossible to please You. So Father, forgive us of the times that we did not please You because of our absence of faith. And then Lord, practically, as we move forward by faith, we go home, we work our jobs, and we minister to our family, and we pillow our heads tonight. Help us to be strengthened in these two tools that You've given to us. These two pieces of weaponry that will help us to fight these spiritual battles. May we be strong in prayer. May we be strong in our fasting. May we have a greater desire today, a greater desire to serve You than to serve our own flesh. A greater desire to serve You than to see our will accomplished. Father, I pray that You will bless this time and we ask this in Your name. Amen.